Well, we did indeed have Psalm 23 last week. And I wanted to stay with that bit of metaphor um, about being sheep. About sheep being sheep. Last week we thought about the nature of sheep and how they, you know, might lie down, but only really if they felt safe to do so. And how the good shepherd takes us to that place and watches over us and brings our protection. But the context in Jeremiah is quite different. We've moved on from that uh, peaceful, that pastoral scene where David, the shepherd boy who had become king, was uh, in charge of a nation that uh, was at its best, where there was that chance of peace, where the battles had been fought uh, and now there was maybe some time to lie down in green pastures. The psalmist had spoken of the hope he personally held. But the prophet today brings word of concern that there will be trouble ahead, but that he has hope. And he's seeking to share his experience with those who may be losing hope. Those who will be facing difficulties. Those that will not be living in a time of peace and plentiful. A time when they might lose sense of that presence that we sang of at the start of the evening. That presence of the Lord. And instead of that stillness that the Lord brings, they would be in conflict. Instead of that resting in the land, they might be taken prisoner. And they may find themselves in exile. But the prophet is saying, you can still have hope. You can still have hope. What we see here, although there is an impending threat from the Babylonians, although the shepherds at the moment may be bad, although they may have caused destruction themselves before the Babylonians arrive, there will be good shepherds. There will be people who take care of them. But first they need to go on a bit of a journey. And on that journey, they will have to 
rely not on a shepherd, but simply on their relationship with God. I kind of feel that the passage opens reminding us that although there might be some folk in authority, they're not always the right folk in authority. They are a shepherd not necessarily because they are good at looking after the sheep. These shepherds are not. And so what we see is that uh, the sheep suffer. The sheep might stray, they might become lost, they are not really in a flock anymore. These are not sheep at the beginning of the passage that are gathered and watched over, led to a green pasture. The sheep are scattered and destroyed by people who should have had their care at the top of their agenda. The forefront of their mind should have been looking after the sheep. But the kings and princes of Judah and Israel had not had that priority. They were no longer really seeking God's will, God's will for the kingdom that they were entrusted with. There are some Christians who believe that because an individual has risen to a place of power, that that person has been taken there by God. That because they're in a place of authority, that is right. Now, whether that's because of them rising there to a hereditary manner, or being elected by a nation's population or by some committee, does that person necessarily mean that they are God's choice? Of course it doesn't. And we see here the hardship that follows when that person is not of God. The result of that premiership is the injustice. That many might face. And we sometimes take the argument, well, this is part of a plan of God that we just don't quite see. That's part of a traditional concept. But there are other traditional concepts in scripture that we know to be wrong. The idea that the rich are blessed by God. But it's blessed are the poor. God can work with any situation. He can further his plan 
to the fact that somebody that's not good has risen to a place of power. But it doesn't mean that those bad shepherds have got there as part of the plan. That they've been deliberately chosen. People that would do an unrighteous act to the people of God. And God does not bring evil. He intercedes. He comes against the evil, but does not instigate it. And we see this in the invasion of the Babylonians. He furthers his plan by people that are not even of God. And we see these shepherds overthrown with the sacking of Jerusalem and many removed from their community, leaving only a small remnant behind, only reminders of the past staying with them, including an uninhabitable house of God. The Lord abandons these shepherds, but he does not abandon his people. He is always faithful to his people. It doesn't really seem to matter how far gone humanity is or what foolishness there exists of those in power at any time. The Lord continues to love Lord continues to love his people. He continues to watch over them. And in that time of exile that comes, although there is no Israelite king or king of Judah, no judge that is with them, there is still the presence of God. I think of the accounts of this time in the book of Daniel, particularly things like the fiery furnace of the lion's den, stories that we are probably familiar with. There is no shepherd priest or prophet or prince. These are individuals that are in relationship with God. The sheep are not lost, but are scattered into the faraway fields. And the Lord rounds up the flock again and brings them home. There is no individual action of the flock that says, right, time to gather, time to move along back home. It's simply God's will. It's his Kairos moment, that perfect timing that they are brought home. And as they come home, new shepherds are to be appointed by God. It seems that while scattered, we can survive for a while as independent, faithful people. But if we are to be truly fruitful, if we are truly to grow in our faith, in our strength, in our numbers, if we are to be a community, 
than shepherd or group of shepherds is needed. It is for this settled nature to occur that we were thinking of last week, this sheltered nature where we journey with the fresh grass and the still waters. But the Lord goes further than saying that there will be shepherds to keep the sheep safe. We've had this sense of hope, a new hope, a hope that although you will be overthrown, you will come home. But there's a second hope here. And he points to David's family offering a king of righteousness and of justice. Now, if, if the shepherds are in that place of authority that were among the people, this new king that is being brought forth, what is his position? He is the king of kings. And the Lord of lords. A king who will reign wisely. And it's a king with a capital K. Over all the others. And his name of this king of David's line will be the Lord, our righteous saviour. The Lord, our righteousness, as it says in the older NIV version. The Lord, our righteousness. Now that name would actually sound familiar to some. King Zedekiah has a name which is the Lord my righteousness. That's what Zedekiah translates as. But there's a subtle difference there, isn't there? It's not a my, it's an our there's a greater thing going on, a greater purpose. Indeed, our righteous saviour, as the newer translations put it, it, sees it go beyond that too. It sees it move further forward, that it's The presence of Yahweh being among the people. The Lord, I am who I am. Himself coming as king. And there's a third element too. A third element in the passage. That moves on from that return from exile. That call of a new king of kings. 
And it, re- it recalls back to that first one, though. And it's that aspect of gathering home. Gathering home. And just how great that gathering home will be. A gathering home that will be more than the story of the Exodus. A time when people will reflect and think, you know, there's, a, the, there's more to this. Instead of the rescue out of Egypt, they will think of the rescue from the lands of the north and the nations beyond. The Exodus had been the greatest part of the story of God's people, hadn't it? It's the thing that they lived with. It's the thing that gave them the structure for their worshipful year. It gave them the commandments. The story of the Exodus has the Passover. The going through the Red Sea. The encounters of Moses on the mountaintop. Manna in the wilderness being fed in a way that they did not understand and water from a rock that sprung forth at the hitting with the staff. And then arrival at the promised land and the the Jordan simply flowing vertically as God's people walked across and the walls of the city of Jericho collapsing as the trumpet blasts. These are just the headlines. These are just those bits that we easily recall without going into the detail. What can be greater than these? Why will God's people not think of that rescue that was the exodus? But think of something new. There's more to this than meets the eye. The return from the exile. It was not like when Egypt was fled. When Egypt was run away from, everybody ran. Everybody escaped. The end of exile was more of a partial return. It was more of cribs and drabs. It was more of, yep, we can go home now. There was a freedom there to travel too without pursuing enemy. But it was a partial return. Not everyone went. 
And then, of course, there's the issue here that the promise is to gather from more than just one place. Not simply those who were Babylonian and Assyrian prisoners over time. It is people from across the globe who will find a new home. The promise that this gave for the remainder of the time of the Old Testament was that more would come home. For hundreds of years beyond this, people were expecting more to come home. It's an incomplete promise, (coughs) unfulfilled, an event yet to take place. That the dispersed community of God's people would return. But maybe we get a greater understanding than they could have. Because when we see this as coming after that second hope, which is the coming of Christ among us, a new door opens to us. And we see that there is indeed a gathering, a gathering that is yet to come, but a promise that God welcomes us home. Not to a specific land, that holy land at the end of the Mediterranean, but a gathering home into God's presence. A promise of being his, that we are loved and that whoever we are, wherever we have been, if we are God's people, we are welcome in his kingdom. So may we live for this king May we live as his people and may we live delighting that that promise exists, that there is a hope that's uh, beyond all other hopes, beyond those promises of the past, beyond those things that have been done for God himself will call us home.